welcome to I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. Each episode, you'll hear from different researchers at Twitter as we explore why research matters and celebrate the people and culture surrounding the work. Research is the spark that ignites countless insights, ideas, and solutions. It connects us to the humanity on the platform in deeply empathetic and inspiring ways, and it helps us better serve the public conversation. So we hope you'll join along and tweet us your questions at Twitter Research. Welcome to this episode of I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. I'm Sarah Buick, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm a white woman with green eyes and long brown hair. I'm a qualitative researcher based in Boulder, Colorado on the health team. I work on the misleading information team, the privacy team, and I also partner with our human rights team. And today I'm lucky to be joined by my fellow research colleague, Agnes. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. I'm Agnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm an Asian woman with brown eyes and brown hair. I'm an experienced researcher on our global participation research team, and I'm located in Tokyo. My research informs our stakeholders who work on high-impact initiatives that often have a global scope and helps them find product market fit around the world. In this episode, we'll be discussing... Global research. Woo. Woo. So before we start, let's dive a little bit deeper into what we do here at Twitter. So actually, before I was lucky enough to come to Twitter, I was at Facebook, where I worked on the community integrity team, focusing on a lot of what I, uh, similar areas of what I do now at Twitter, really keeping these platforms safe and healthy and welcoming spaces for folks to come to and to learn and communicate. And before that, I actually lived in Doha, Qatar, where I worked at a government-funded research institute, and I researched the internet and, more specifically, social media uses among Gulf Arabs. Here at Twitter, from the health perspective, my goal is to understand the people who use the service and to also work with our cross-functional partners to make Twitter a safe space to exchange ideas and to learn. So unfortunately, some people have negative experiences on Twitter. A big part of my job is listening to those people, learning about those experiences with the eventual goal of ideally either stopping those bad experiences from happening or more practically developing tools to protect users and to work with partners to evolve policies and create educational opportunities that support the health of the public conversation. And my background is a little bit more unconventional. So I was initially on a different team at Twitter, and I was an account manager on our customer team. And my job there was really to help a lot of our Japanese advertising clients. And I joined our research team in April 2020 because I wanted to do work that would have more long-term impact. So on our team, we know that customers act differently across the world. And our mission on the global participation team really is to make sure Twitter becomes a platform that is inclusive and accessible to people across languages, cultures, perspectives, and geographies. move on to the main conversational topic, which is, again, global research. So Agnes, tell me, why is it important to do global research and what happens if we don't? 
Oh, this is an important one. When it comes to being customer centric, which is often the goal these days, representation is definitely an important factor to consider. And with Twitter being a global platform, doing international research really should be the standard and not the exception. The one concrete benefit we can expect from all of this is enhanced understanding of our customers from different cultures and contexts. So I found that doing global research really helps build empathy and also understanding within the designer research org. And it helps internal teams make decisions that will benefit a larger portion of the people using our service. How about for you, Sarah? What what are some of the benefits you've seen? (laughs) Yeah, just Agnes, what you just said, is, it's crucial. You bringing that that voice of the customer to your team so that they can make more informed decisions. It's so important. So uh, from my perspective, it's important to do global research because it is crucial for companies with a global reach to understand and really meet individuals where they're at, particularly as it relates to a sense of safety, an ability to express oneself, the ability to feel that you can be authentic and to share your ideas on a platform. So for example, how people define and think of and enact privacy in Brazil is different from how privacy is carried out in Sweden. The extent to which one feels safe expressing themselves in certain contexts changes as sociopolitical environments shift and events unfold around the world. And when it comes to Twitter, we are not immune to a plethora of of these external events and we're often enough at the heart of them. So there's this interesting like meta relationship that Twitter has with, with world events and with how things unfold because oftentimes we're really in the thick of it. So having awareness and insights into how to kind of partner with our users to create a healthy and beneficial experience really requires that we have that deep understanding of a variety of situations, a variety of needs, and also of user requests and motivations. Well, you just said that is just key. I think I can talk about some of the, I guess, risks, if you will, of not doing international research. I think essentially that you are just looking at a very big missed opportunity for growth. If you don't have good representation, often you'll end up with low product market fit. And then, you know, things like platform issues, kind of like a narrow view and understanding of what customer needs are. And by not doing international research, we're essentially playing a guessing game when it comes to our customers or, you know, people who use our services. It really is a lose-lose situation where the customer or um, the people are not really getting the service that is the best for them, and we are not able to do our best work. Yep, I totally agree with that. The risk of not doing international research means that we are likely potentially leaving a lot of people behind and not giving them this platform that can be so invaluable. We really need to understand needs and the niche markets that exist across Twitter, across the spectrum, so that we can really create that healthy space for everyone. So now, why don't you tell me about a time, because we all we have all these interesting research experiences. Tell me about a time you were doing research in a global setting and you were surprised by something. Ooh, <laughs> this <laughs> is a fun one. I think with every research project, there's always something that surprises me. So recently, 
in foundational study in India, I noticed that almost all of our participants were using their devices in English, despite some of them not being completely proficient or comfortable with reading and writing in English. So this had unintentional consequences during their usage experience, especially for people who are new to Twitter, because many of our onboarding instructions and product documentation were designed to default to the device language. And this meant for these customers in India, it took them longer to learn how to use Twitter because some of this documentation they weren't really able to read. And then being able to unearth important but not so obvious insights like these, this was something you know that we could only know through actually doing the research and watching them use their devices. So I think this was like a for me a very prime example of where global research really became crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And this could potentially be such an easy fix, you know, if we can provide some resources for people who don't speak English as a first language in their native language, but still, you know, say, hey, you know, it's it's great if you want to use Twitter in a foreign language, that's awesome. But let's also provide you with the resources that you're using it in the way that's best for you in a way that you best understand. Exactly, exactly. How about for your work? Has there been something that really surprised you recently? There has been, yeah. So I'm currently doing a research project with our human rights team, and we're focusing on female and non-binary journalists in various countries. So I've been speaking with these journalists for the past about six weeks. And for one thing, journalists are interesting research participants to speak with because they too are professional interviewers. So interviewing an interviewer is kind of a different challenge. But what surprised me throughout this project has really been hearing about similar experiences among journalists, despite being in different countries, covering different beats, and being experts in different media. So I've spoken with people who are print, radio, and TV journalists. Similarities are across the board. Everyone feels a responsibility to take risks in sharing reports and sharing their stories on Twitter knowing that they're going to get negative reactions and negative feedback. And they do this all in the name of of informing the public and advocating for causes they care about. In every country, at least one participant has told me, but several have said this, you, quote, need a thick skin to do this work. And thick skin comes across, it has some translation in, in every language that I, that we were um, speaking. Wow. We're using interpreters for this, for this uh, work <laughs> for some countries. So they've all said Twitter has been a valuable source of information. It's, it's a, it's a crucial way often to get in touch with sources and to spread their stories. But on the other hand, Twitter is a source of negative interaction, some of which are potentially dangerous and threatening. So hearing these similarities from such a gr- diverse group of participants really helps me and the human rights team push forward on our goals to provide better safety for all the people on Twitter, particularly those in these precarious situations. So the surprising part for me as a researcher is that the coherence and the clear storyline is just so accessible right away, even though we were talking with such a diverse group of research participants. Right. And I think often if you find an insight in one market, that's usually important, but if you find it across multiple markets, it really tells you what's crucial about a particular Mm -hmm. topic you're looking to explore. So that's a great example. Tell us about how you prepare for a global research project. 
All right. Global research projects, they take a, a little a little more planning and, and logistical input than just doing a research project at home. So if I know there's related research that's been published in an academic journal or conference proceedings, I'll read or let's be honest, I often will skim it. <laughs> I'll also talk to other researchers, both within Twitter and through my external network who've done research in that country or region to get their advice before I really dive in. And then it's all about planning and logistics. So you want to get, I mean, this is just, you know, research 100, you know, you, you get your research plan all set, you share it out to your cross-functional partners and you get their input. And that's a crucial part of doing this. Actually, I want, I want to point out our cross-functional partners are really important to bring along in this journey. So if I'm able to actually go to the country and do research there, I like to bring along at least three to four colleagues, sometimes more. And throughout our research, I really make sure that they are involved. Every day, someone has a different role. It might be note taker. It might be the person who has to really pay attention for, for hot quotes. It might be a person who I would ask to actually observe body language. It might be a person I ask to really observe tone of voice and prosody and really kind of like, you know, using those, those, those researcher tools that we have so that we can really dig in and understand what, what is being said. Uh, it's not always the words. It's often how they're delivered. So so I, I do that with my, my, my cross-functional colleagues when we're actually able to be in person. And then we're sending daily reports back to the rest of the team who are back home so that they're of what we're finding mid-flight. And this keeps everybody engaged and allows them to expand upon questions we're asking, probe in certain areas, and find out quickly if we're seeing results that we are surprised by. So I kind of there, I dug into what, what I actually do after I prepare, like once we're in country. But I think that's a good kind of synopsis of what a successful global research project looks like. So Agnes, tell me how you go about doing your prep. So for me, at least for the past two years, most of my research has been remote. So on top of mine, for me, a lot of the prep just looks like sorting things out and making sure they run smoothly. So the first thing I think is to start early, especially for multi-market research where scoping can take some time. It's really easy to forget about the logistics, but something as simple as translation could easily take up to two to three weeks, depending on the size of the study. And besides the timeline, market selection is a unique process for each project. There are many variables to consider. For example, opportunity size, growth potential, market-specific characteristics, so language, culture, um, et cetera, which when you look at them all together, it can get really confusing because there's so many different factors to look at. But, you know, at the end of the day, selecting the right market is just answering a few basic questions. So what do we need to know and from whom can we most easily find the right answers? And which markets should we prioritize to make the biggest impact for the people using our service, right? And so I think as long as you have those core questions kind of nailed, you should be able to make a good decision about which markets to run the research in. Yeah, you know what, Agnes, and on that point, there's sometimes trying to get into those markets that will be of the biggest impact. You know, we sometimes run into challenges and it can be frustrating. I know in the past I've been doing research and I've wanted to go to certain countries in Europe, but because of GDPR regulations, it was just too difficult to get the research in place by the time that I, I and the team really needed the results. So you should point out there's always those trade-offs. Like you might want to go to these four countries, but 
in reality, you might end up in only two of your top your top choices and you might choose other country. You might have to just decide on other countries or just to nix the other countries altogether because you're just not able to get there in, in the timeline that, that is really required for the research. Mm -hmm. That's definitely really important to highlight as well. Things are changing very quickly across the globe every single day and staying flexible, right? Like, but, you know, being prepared, but staying flexible is really, I think, the takeaway we want everyone to have when it comes to global research. And then, you know, sharing that with your stakeholders and people who you work with is really important as well to get that understanding across the board. Right. Because unfortunately, sometimes you have to cancel the trip. Because something happens in the world and you just can't, you just can't continue. What is challenging about doing global research? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I could say that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Big joke. (laughs) I'll pull from, I guess, some examples uh, that I've had that I think better illustrate some of the challenges. So, I guess over an overarching way to describe the challenge is being able to read the room in a culture that is not your own and knowing where you sit and what you get to ask, what you don't get to ask, and how you should best go about that. So uh, I was in a research situation once in a country, and it was actually, it was a focus group situation. And there were about four or five participants and I was probing on some pretty fraught topics, but nothing, nothing too personal. And, but it was definitely political in nature. And I was, everyone was being very polite. I was getting really great feedback or being very forthcoming with their thoughts, but it was still really surface. And I wasn't quite getting, I guess, from a research perspective, I wasn't getting the data that I needed. And again, I'm in a culture that I was not entirely familiar with. But I was able to speak. Like everyone spoke English, so we were able. We were all. I was. I'm a native speaker, and the people there had all grown up mostly bilingual. And we're going through the conversation using my discussion guide as a guide. Of course, you go off script, and I finally decided to take a risk. And I knew this could either blow up in my face, or I was going to finally get some good data. So I asked a really provocative question, and I knew it was going to be provocative. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden the floodgates opened and the conversation really started. And that was when things became, it became clear to me that it was, it was a good risk for me to take. But again, it could have gone completely the wrong way and I could have ended up kind of shutting things down or just kind of staying on this, this surface kind of level. But my research colleague who was there with me at the time said, you know, you were looking at someone else during the focus group, but one of the participants, when you asked that question, his face just completely changed because he kind of realized what you were asking. And, and he clearly had some sort of like some gut reaction and it worked out well, but that could have just as easily gone the other way. So again, it's, a, it's kind of reading the room, knowing when to pull back and knowing when you might want to take that risk. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then making that judgment as a researcher, right? I think yeah, in the moment, um, yeah, in the moment, based on your instincts, I think sometimes. Yeah. How about for you, Agnes? Tell me, tell me something that you find challenging about global research. 
So besides the logistics, something that is just inherently difficult about global research is that, you know, as humans, we all have our own biases and that really influences the way we see the world around us. And I find that most people that I work with and uh, people on my team as well know that there are cultural differences across the world, but actually hearing and seeing those insights could still feel really jarring. And I think the challenge here really is being able to communicate and relay some of those differences, some of those unique to market characteristics Mm -hmm. and sharing that with our team. And I think especially for people who aren't researchers, who weren't there at the fielding of the research, sometimes it can just be really hard to kind of understand and wrap their heads around it. So I think really for this challenge, I think something that is a policy of mine really is to be open to questions and to welcome them, especially when it comes to questions about cultural differences. And being open and available to answer those questions can really help people understand. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent point. So we would like to answer a question that we've received from Twitter research. So the question for today (laughs) is, what have you found are the greatest advantages and disadvantages of studying a country from afar versus studying one from within? Wow. So Agnes, what do you have to say? Great question, first of all. But I think I can talk about maybe studying a country from afar. So... When you're looking at a country from afar, the biggest advantage you'll have as a researcher is your fresh pair of eyes as an outsider. It's easy for you to pick up on some of the unique market-specific things that are you know, different from your own culture or country, as well as to, again, be able to communicate that with your team. However, this can also be a weakness. So you have to work harder to make sure that you have the nuances correctly, to make sure that you understand the nuances of what people are saying, and to make sure you're not misrepresenting. And often this is when finding the right local research partner becomes very important because you want to avoid speaking for a group that were essentially, I guess, not qualified to represent. But I I think in this case, you know, your biggest advantage can also be your weakness, if that makes sense. It totally does. Yeah. How about from within? What do you think? (laughs) From within, you often have context on current events. You get the vocabulary, you get the slang, you can understand tones of voice and how they're used. You can kind of clock sarcasm and facial expressions if you're fortunate enough to be in person or on on a Google Meet type situation. But at the same time, it can be a hindrance. I've done a lot of research in the U.S. with research participants who have backgrounds and worldviews that are very, very different from my own. And it's incumbent upon me not to fall into a false sense of comfort regarding the questions I'm asking or the ways I'm approaching a situation. So I can't assume I just get it when speaking with someone from a culture or country that's, that's familiar. I still need to be mindful of pulling back, taking that as objective as possible perspective so that I am able to probe where I need to kind of get more information to pull back when I realize I might be going a little bit too deep and to really still treat the research situation as such while also because of the kind of work that I do 
remembering that the safety and the security of my research participant is always of the utmost importance. Top so priority. there might be situations, yeah, there might be situations in which I just, I scrap an interview because it's, it's not up to me to use a conversation I might have with someone that is just too difficult to, to go forward with. Thank you for sharing that. We had a great time here today, but now we have to cut this short. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of I Wish I Knew. Yeah, and just to give a, a recap of what we went over today, we talked about a lot of different topics. So we went over how we prepare for global research projects. You got to hear some interesting stories, some really some really fun examples about things that Agnes and I have both experienced. We've talked about why it's important to do, do global research, the risks that happen if if we don't. And really, I hope the, the thread that was spun throughout this conversation points to how much Agnes and I really love doing this kind of research, how fortunate we are to get to speak with people from all over the world, and how much we really value getting to do this kind of research at Twitter. Totally. So please feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. And my handle name on Twitter is at Tokyo underscore Agnes. So that's T-O-K-Y-O underscore A-G-N-E-S. Or to Sarah at VeloFemme. So that's V-E-L-O-F-E-M-M-E. Or join the conversation and tweet us any questions at Twitter Research to have them answered in uh, potentially future seasons, future episodes. We'll have new episodes coming soon, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.